When it comes to import drag cars, they don't come much more recognisable than the Titan Motorsports Copper Supra. This is a car that has set records right from day one. It's well known all around the world and Titan and Nero here from Titan Motorsports have continually rebuilt this car to make it more relevant to modern technology. We're here with Nero to talk a little bit about the history of the car as well as to find out what's gone into the current iteration of the build. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So Nero, let's actually start with the start. And uh, you guys have been into 2JZs and Supras right from the day they were released on the showroom floor. Uh, can you tell us what records this Copper Supra is best known for? You know, it's had like world's quickest Supra, world's fastest Supra, you know, NHRA Pro Street Tire Champion, um, you know, quickest IRS car at one point, quickest six-speed factory, you know, uh, Supra transmission car. You know, it's gone through a lot of a lot of variations over the years and kind of each each time you know the goal is to obviously have like a superior competitive platform now we've obviously seen the uh, drag racing times move very very rapidly particularly over the last few years we've now got a number of 2JZ powered imports in the five second bracket and at this point uh, this particular car is still a three quarter chassis car so it's got a bit more weight than some of these full tube frame cars uh, you're not really aiming for that five second zone with the car but can you tell us what the car's competing in in its current build uh, I mean the whole car was rebuilt to be following the X275 rules and so in the U.S. here, we have like a lot of different variations where we could run the car, and a lot of times that boils down to chassis setup and uh, turbo size. So, if we put like the small turbo on, like we have on this weekend, it's legal to the X275.net rules. Uh, if we want to go to import versus domestic, we can put the bigger turbo on. Uh, if we want to come here, like. Texas 2K, but we're allowed to use the bigger turbo, so we have a lot of flexibility with just changing a few little parts. Now that X275 class, one of the key parts to that is you're restricted to a 275 wide radial drag tyre, so that's kind of seen as a levelling of the playing field, but uh, you also mentioned the turbo size limitations, what, what compressor wheel are you allowed in that X275 class? You're allowed an 88mm turbo. Um, the the rules really start almost at 85 millimeter, and they move up. And there's weight additions as you go up in turbo size. So, what sort of weight do you need to be when you're running that turbo? Uh, typically, it the, with the 88, 2800 pounds. All right, so I want to go back a little bit again because you've been in the 2JZ scene since day one and obviously now we're seeing a lot more competitors running the billet aluminium blocks but can you sort of tell us where you've seen the, the limitations of the cast iron block? Well it's pretty funny because you know at first we ran a normal cast iron block we boarded out 20 or 40 over and uh, ran it just like a normal street motor. And then we obviously always had head stud limitations, um, head gasket issues, as I'm sure a lot of 
your fans have experienced as well as us. And so we went to running a half-inch head stud. And that solved a lot of those problems. And then you push the horsepower boundary to 1,200 to 1,400, and you start cracking cylinder liners. So when you started cracking cylinder liners, you had a drag car, we started doing a half-fill, running the water on the top half of the block and through the head. Um, I'll just come back to that. So when you're saying half fill there, just for those who aren't aware, nope. you're talking about uh, basically filling the bottom half of the water jacket there oh, with a, a grout or essentially a concrete compound, and it, it, it sort of improves the rigidity of the bores and helps stop that cracking. Yeah, yeah. so running literally concrete on the bottom half, um, preferably obviously a concrete that's suited for motorsports and doing this kind of application. I can tell you we started doing it first, actually here at Texas 2K. We blew the head gasket in testing and we had to go to the Walmart parking lot and literally buy concrete, mix it up, pull the head off and slowly fill it and let it settle overnight before we put it all back together. Uh, when needs must, you do what you have to do, but when we say concrete, there are actually specific block filling compounds, and the important part here is these block filling compounds actually replicate the thermal expansion rate of cast iron, so you're not getting distortion as that block heats up. Now I just want to come back to the head gasket ceiling, because in import drag racing, as you've kind of just alluded to, this really is the limiting factor of how much boost and hence how much power you can make as you raise the boost pressure, that combustion pressure uh, tries to essentially lift the head off the block and uh, it leaks out into the coolant passage. Of course if it gets severe you end up torching the head in the block. So you've just mentioned there you've gone to a half inch stud to help alleviate that. Uh, are we allowed to know a little bit about the head sealing technology in terms of what gasket you're running or is that sort of tied in motorsport secrets? So over the years we've run different combinations. So the factory MLS gasket we ended up having machined and we found that you have to machine it a very specific way um, where you don't build a lot of risers into that head gasket when you uh, machine it. Uh, otherwise, the head basically lifts anyway. It sits up higher. Um, so we initially started doing that. And then uh, over the years, we started O-ringing the block and just still running the factory MLS gasket, which is a great combination to run on a street car that's making 1,500 to 1,800, 2,000 horsepower. And then uh, once we were starting to get to that area, that 2,000 plus horsepower uh, it range, we were, again, starting to hurt head gaskets quite often. And um, we started running a copper gasket with an O-ring on the block. So that's essentially the sort of top fuel, top alcohol technology, uh, an O-ring with a receiver groove, is that what you're saying there? Correct, yes, exactly. All right, so let's talk about the turbocharger. You've already said you're running an 88 millimeter turbocharger, although changing that depending on what you're actually, uh, what, what competition you're running. Uh, but again, being that you've been here from the start, like this is something we've seen a lot of advances in the turbo technology. How, how has that affected what you've been able to do? And particularly at the pointy end, how has that helped competitors run into that five second bracket? Well, it's, it's been a beautiful thing to be in the turbocharged game for the last 15 plus years. You know, before you were limited with a lot of basically truck turbos that were modified, you know, there wasn't a billet compressor wheels and so forth. There was just cut down rebalancing machine pieces that were nowhere near the efficiency of today. I mean, you couldn't even you qualify with two of the turbos that are, you know, two, three generations old on the car versus a one, one, one big turbo, you know, that uh, you could run. But, like, the engineering that all these manufacturers have put in has been extraordinary. They've picked up so much aerodynamics 
Um, some of that's obviously through Sam different Barrow, testing, through different machining operations, different technology that's available to us now, and uh, and continue to make the sport grow and continue to improve even a turbocharged power on OEM side. I mean, now you see, you know, when we started, very few cars came with turbo. It was like a high performance thing only, and now almost every car out there has turbochargers because it's more efficient, makes great torque, and you know those advancements um, with the OEMs allowing or almost always having turbochargers is that had a lot more R&D exposure for the manufacturers. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com slash free and start developing your own skills today. In terms of the, this particular car, what sort of boost levels are you running and what sort of power is it making? So we haven't exactly tested out the power. We think we're right around 2,000 um, with an 88 millimeter maybe completely wicked up. Uh, if most of the time, uh, X275 type trim, you're probably going to be like more like 1,600, 1,700. Um, and again, it's just all boils down to finding that package to make it very efficient because everybody's limited to the same thing. Now, with the 98 millimeter, uh, we can be making 25, 2600. Um, it's, it's got a lot more breathing room. It's a lot more efficient for that package. In terms of that tyre, though, the, the 275 radial, uh, I'm assuming it's safe to say that you're basically traction limited down the track in, in, in terms of how much power you can actually put, put to the ground? Yeah, so like it's, it's an interesting deal because the drag radial is extremely good. You know, like in a lot of ways it works better than a slick, but it's got a narrow window. So if it's if if you put too much in it, it spins a tire and it's much harder to recover and pedal the car to get it A to B. Where a slick car, you can kind of work your way through it and probably make a quicker run if you have an aborted run. So setting up the car, the setups are completely different for an X275 tire and also depends on where you're racing because there's track prep's different. So there's a lot of these radial specific events now where their track prep is killer because they're doing it specifically for radials versus for like a slick or a street car, street tire. But ultimately with the X275 tire you're, you're kind of walking a, a, a knife edge to, to get the car to perform how it can without overpowering the track and ending up going into wheel spin. Yep, exactly, exactly. No, or, or, or lifting the front nose up so high that you have to abort the run. Yeah, we, we've seen that a lot here too, to yeah, this weekend too. By a boundary is. Okay, I want to just talk about the electronics package controlling that because this is again another area we've talked about turbo technology and the engine technology. Uh, the electronics is another area we've seen massive advances over the last couple of decades. So what are you running in this car and, and how is that beneficial to you? So we run a FuelTech FT600. Um, you know, we've we've talked to FuelTech over the years and the, the guys there are hardcore drag racers, right? The owner is a drag racer. Uh, all the partners are drag racers. They really, that's that's their focus. And so they've built a product that originally was really just a Brazil-based, you know, item for a lot of drag racers there that was user-friendly for somebody who wasn't just a full-time tuner, you know, was just an enthusiast, um, a package that was easy to use. And a lot of the controls, or almost all of them, can be used through the uh interface the uh, screen interface that's included with the the ECU so it kind of gives you two pieces in one box it gives you a screen and it gives you a 
standalone computer. It is quite nice with that FuelTech. We've uh, we haven't had the opportunity to use one, but we've uh, we've had one uh, through our shop, and uh, that touch screen does give you the ability to make adjustments without needing to pull out a laptop. In particular, if you're stuck in a staging lane for you know maybe an hour, the track can change quite dramatically. So it means you don't have to go scrambling for the laptop to make those changes. And uh, are there any drag specific? Obviously, I've just mentioned they they really are focused quite specifically on drag racing, although it's not the only thing you can fit the ECU yeah. to. But uh, are there any of the, the sort of drag-specific functions that you're making use of here that you think really benefit the car? You know, so with the development, with them starting to put the FuelTech ECUs in the V8s, those guys have developed a lot of packages, uh, a lot of anti-lag technology, um, cut strategies, timing cut strategies, you know, even, even almost like a traction control type device. Um, and then when we went to... A, kind of a medium-sized motor, small motor, um, some of those strategies had to be changed. And we worked in conjunction with Anderson and the team at FuelTech to basically figure it out, you know, make it, make it work, make it efficient, make it consistent. Now, you just mentioned traction control, and I just want to touch on that a little bit. And again, with that X275 tyre being uh, sort of on that tightrope there with traction, uh, is this something you are using? Obviously, you're launching with the front wheels in the air, so a conventional wheel speed-based traction control strategy will never work. We are seeing a lot of the cars use a, a profiler for drive shaft speed versus time. Are you using anything like that? Yeah, we'll use, um, we'll use like various timing cuts depending on how we feel the track's going to be. I mean, we're still learning like that package. I know um, some of the cars, especially like the radio versus the world, the bigger tire cars, which are way more susceptible to almost flipping over. Some of them run uh, uh, a height sensor on the front of the car, which when it starts to lift beyond a certain amount or a certain degree, starts to do, uh, again, a timing cut strategy. So there's a lot of different configurations available. Um, I think it just boils down to what the team's used to and what works for them. I mean, a lot of that also boils down the chassis setup. If you don't really have a good chassis setup and the thing often wants to try to flip itself over, obviously you're more concerned with, uh, you know, that ride height sensor than you are with uh, maybe doing it a different way. Now, another aspect that I want to touch on here that is unique here at TX2K in the 2JZ class is uh, I think you're the only competitor running a, a clutched gearbox and you're running the airshifted Liberty 5-speed there. Now, there's some advantages and disadvantages compared to the rest of the competitors running the likes of a Turbo 400, uh, particularly in setup with that slider-style clutch. Can you talk to us a little bit about, about that? So we've had Eric on our team for well over a decade, and he's a clutch guy. That's his thing. He's a clutch chassis guy. So it, it only was natural for us to take kind of our Pro Mod program that had a clutch with a, slip, a slipper clutch with a Liberty you know, into this go. this platform, which is a, it's a new venture. Nobody else is running a Liberty, to my knowledge. Um, but it gives us a lot more control. I mean, obviously, we have a more narrow window, and the and these two uh, Js don't make the torque that a big V8 will. But so it gives us the ability to really control our power. It also gives us the ability to um, change gear ratios a lot more if need be for different track conditions. Where like with Turbo 400, Power Glide. Whatever ratio you got in there, you're kind of stuck with that for the day. And also, unless you don't have a lot of extra converters, you got to try to change the car to work versus changing the power application 
I know somebody. Safe to say though, with the the slipper clutch and the the Liberty, you're you're really your setup has to be on point if you want to get a time out of the car. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what car it is, it has to be on point, or you have to be able to run the car in a certain window that you've figured out that the car you know the car runs well in. Um, a lot of that boils down to really the power plant and, and the tire and so forth. Uh, we we also like it because it's more efficient. So when you're in a class where that's turbo restricted, uh, obviously you're trying to make the most amount of power to the rear wheels as possible, and you are giving up something with a, tr a converter car. Yeah, it's, it's important to mention there that even, even with a tight converter, uh, we've seen some data from teams here, and uh, at the uh, deep end of the track, they're still seeing slip between probably 3 and 4% if it's really good, and uh, it's not unheard of to see 6, 7, 8% or even more slip, and, yep. and that's worse in the first half of the track. So that, what that means is you're not actually transferring all of that torque to the rear wheels. Uh, another thing I'll just point out for those who aren't aware, that Liberty air shifter transmission, uh, while it is a manual transmission, it is purpose-built for drag racing, so uh, it's, it's essentially able to select two gears at once on the upshift and then the lower gear drops out. The problem with that is that uh, the driver can't really pedal the car if he gets out the, car, the gearbox, tries to jump into neutral. Is that sort of the case there? Yeah, it will. Um, the air shift though does tend to hold it in the gear a little bit better than the manually shifted Liberty. It will, it will try to hold it in the gear, you know. Uh, we used to, back in the day, literally, when we had a shifter, they would physically hold it in gear and, and it would be pushing against you trying to force itself out. So, yeah, it's a little bit of trickery there, I guess, to try to be able to uh, make a run that's an aborted run. I mean, quite often, yeah, the, the it, it, depending on how bad the run is, it may just drop it out in neutral and you're just kind of coasting. All right, now, given the current setup of the car, in the X275 class where you're running 8th mile restricted on the turbo, uh, what sort of ET on the 8th are you expecting the car's capable of? You know, I think it's easily capable of going into the 30s. Um, and I, We're talking 430s, yeah? 430s, yep, 430s. I know that... To go to some of these big events, like the one we're going to next weekend, Sweet 16, uh, some of these big payout events, I think you're going to have to run at least a few 430s to be consistent. Um, that all boils down to track prep. Like, at the last uh, Lights Out race, 439 was the number one qualifier, you know? So... Uh, I don't. I expect that to be much lower. More, a lot more people mark. in the uh, 430s this this coming weekend. This is and uh, here at a quarter mile event where you aren't restricted on turbo, you're still running that 275 radial. What sort of ETM mile an hour are you expecting the cars capable of? I think here, uh, if we can make a good run, cars capable of going about right, 680 at 215. Uh, look, Nero, it's been great to get some insight into a car that I've definitely followed for uh, my whole career. Uh, we wish you all the best for eliminations here at TX2K, and thanks for the chat. Yeah, thank you very much. If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.